0: Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Rank Up, an on-page SEO podcast where we talk about technical SEO, content optimization, search engine news, and much more. I'm one of your hosts, Ben Gary, and I am joined once again by Ed Wilson. How are you, Ed? Yeah, I'm good,
1: thanks, Ben. Uh, Just, well, I've got back from paris at the weekend so i'm full of uh, parisian tweets at the uh, tweets at the moment <laughs> not tweets um and yeah nice. excited to talk about uh excess seo a. Oh, so a treat at the weekend and a
0: treat with a technical <laughs> seo topic for you today <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, and we're also at episode 30 as well so that's a nice little milestone that we're we're marking today and uh, to mark that milestone we have uh one of Impression's own uh, on the podcast today. Uh, and it's a debut of Impression's latest technical specialist, Luke Davis. Uh, Luke, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Ben? I'm, I'm very good, thank you. I had to move into a different room because I was very close to some tortilla chips, which are not good for podcasting audio. <laughs> so <laughs> now that I've removed that temptation, I, I'm better. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'll, I'll reward myself after a long, hard recording. <laughs> um, but yeah, Luke, it's, uh, it's great to have you on today. Um, and we're really keen to hear from you on a few different things. Um, but we'll, we'll start with giving you the opportunity to share your, your story and your journey into technical SEO. Uh, and then from there, I know we've got a couple of topics that you're uh, really keen to talk about. Uh, within your particular areas of interest so uh, if we start with the kind of broadest picture um how did you get to where you are today what's the overview of your
2: seo career so far um okay so i i started to go way back uh 2000 um i was living in america and my dad has got a um a job out there as a teacher um and on a Wednesday, I was in elementary school at the time. Wednesday um, yeah. evening, my mum used to work at the school library, um, and she'd work um, after after hours. And I would basically wait there for about three hours until like six o'clock yeah. um, in the library school um, computer lab, and um, had access to the internet. And I basically just got exposed to the internet uh, once a week for about six months, just basically surfing the web and yeah. getting lost down a multitude of rabbit holes <laughs> and getting, yeah, getting an idea of what the internet was all about. Um, once yeah. I came back to England, I um, got myself, well, I'd, I'd, I'd got an email address back then, um, but I'd got a proper one through Yahoo um, and mm. kind of got into um, sort of web development, um, sort of coding my own sites in HTML CSS, very sort of rudimentary kind of sure. HTML back then, this is 2000 and 2001, um, and then it's carried on from there, um, I got into blogging maybe about 2008, um, and then kind of merged that in with a music tech degree um, at uni, um, and then that kind of led me to a music label where I started... Getting into digital marketing a bit more, yeah. Um, and then I started my own blog um, called Sample Face, which is a sort of music and music sampling blog. Um, and then once I left the label, um, finished my degree, um, carried on blogging from there. And then that really was where I was introduced—I introduced myself to SEO—and yes. um, then used the blog as kind of a sandbox for different things I was learning and reading about. And then it kind of blossomed from there, more blogs, um, still wasn't working in the industry yet. Um, yeah. And then by 2019, I um, finally got my first job as a copywriter before moving quickly into SEO properly. Um, and then, yeah, the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We'll
0: talk about your uh, specific time at Impression so far and the role you do now in just a second. Um, and I, lo- I love that you can start your story on a specific day of the week. That's, that's a fantastic <laughs> detail and, and a very good memory. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, let's talk about what you're doing here at Impression now, because I guess that's most closely related to uh, the topics that we're going to be going into today with technical SEO Um, because, of course, you've recently been promoted to a technical specialist here. Um, And on this podcast, we have spoken about some different SEO job roles. We had a recent episode talking all about different career paths in SEO. Um, But I find this is an industry where there's, you know, so many different ways of referring to sometimes quite similar jobs, sometimes quite different jobs. So um, it's always, always handy to hear from people themselves what what their job means so uh what does a technical specialist mean in your day-to-day job
2: um i'd say fundamentally less writing um, although I still yeah. Do some. um yeah it's it's a lot more around the actually the technical aspect but really sort of the inner workings of websites um and how they stand in terms of being crawled and indexed by Google or any other search engine, um, and then how that's presented to the user um when they make a search. Um there's a lot more strategy now as well. Um having gone into this kind of specialist role, um yeah, there's less sort of task work, more task creation, um, and then having yeah. to learn to delegate things that I guess you're more accustomed to doing yourself and telling you that to somebody else. Um, it's that relinquishment of control? Um, sure, yeah, it's quite new for me because I'm very much yeah I'm I'm all used to like doing tasks and then waiting for feedback. Now it's kind of the other way around. I'm actually giving the feedback on the task. So um, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot more. Yeah, a lot more of the coding side. A lot more of the making sure things are working from the back end and then also a lot of uh, delegation of tasks um like writing and just anything that will uh complement strategy
1: yes did you uh, um, I- did you find that quite hard Luke, to kind of relinquish con- uh, control of tasks because i think when because just my experience of it was that i found it quite hard because I used to because I think for SEO I just loved like getting myself involved in specific areas so I think when I started getting into more senior roles it was quite hard for me to to not give control but because I like doing the tasks or specific tasks it was hard for me to kind of switch is have you found it quite tricky as well or is it quite easy
2: it's very hard I was just thinking about today how, how um yeah just thinking about the task that I wanted to do and, and I made up start doing um before I may pass it on yeah just yeah I I like doing some of the tasks themselves kind of getting into the data and looking at things and finding answers to solutions and stuff like that but yeah when you start working more on strategy you've got less time for that so it's yeah very difficult but um yeah yes in time and with sort of um different colleagues to work with it'll um, get a lot easier and you may end up finding that if you pass some tasks on to other people they may be able to gain uh, new insights that you may not have seen before which inevitably helps the um, strategy and the, the client a lot more than if you kind of focused on it yourself
0: yeah sure yeah and in, in terms of your your own career path that you've taken then was it the the hands-on aspect that you wanted to retain that led you down the, the specialist route as opposed to that uh, yeah, impression we offer a more generalist strategist route, which is um, maybe even more leaning into the strategy, delegation and account management side of things. So was that kind of the primary reason there or was
2: there another reason
0: behind picking this particular path?
2: I think my background has been predominantly technical um in fact, I used to put it on my c v at the little bit at the end um oh, and yeah. my cover letters all the time I've got technical um background whatever yes um so yeah that's that's always been the case for me, and especially with my um sort of humble beginnings in um sort of the web um just being more interested in in that side um and how things work um more so than the writing, even though I've done a lot of writing as well um, yeah. It arguably got me in into seo more than um maybe the technical side um but it made sense to kind of take this more niche route towards technical um because it's yeah. kind of catered to my um skills a lot more and my interests um and i knew that i'd i'd be more interested in 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 that side of it um and sort of interested in improving that part than perhaps the the content side um, cuz i'm, I'm yeah more aligned to the sort of more tangible and logical aspects of sure. SEO and marketing. So I can actually see if something's working and if it isn't working, I can kind of look at different areas as to why. Um, but writing is kind of more subject, um, subjective when yes. um, it's just kind of not really aligned with um, how I work, I guess. Yes, it's uh,
0: something that as a, as a content specialist, I suppose, on the other side of the fence, it's uh, maybe a particular challenge of that that kind of thing where you're you're dealing with i think maybe a very different kind of of feedback and communication um because you're dealing with a brand's tone of voice and usually a um a perception from the client of how content needs to look and feel and read um which is often quite difficult to pin down um some brands do have guides for it others don't um but it's still it, it's often you know Shades of grey with with what's going on there. Everybody has a slightly different opinion, and there's no right way to do it, um, which is a which is a particular challenge. But we know from speaking to other guests on the podcast that uh, technical SEO comes with its own range of of communication challenges in a way, even though they're uh, they might be different uh, and of a different nature to content. Um, so, as someone who's really kind of been finding their feet in this role over the last few months with impression. Um, have you got any tips or anything that you've picked up already for sort of communicating the work that you're doing, maybe communicating technical issues and fixes with clients or colleagues who maybe don't share that same background and level of technical knowledge that that you have?
2: Yeah, um, I think one of the fundamental things is being clear and succinct and kind of explaining what the situation is, whether it's a task or whether it's some kind of challenge that you have that you want to solve Um, and just explain exactly what you want to be done um, and how long you think it'll take and what resources may be required. Yeah. Uh, Those are really important as well, particularly working with devs. um, Before working with Impression, um, I worked two years at a um, PPC, optimization software um, company. And yeah, I I had to work with devs um, quite a lot. For, for them to make changes in the back end um, and I always made sure um, besides I was making instructions clear and succinct about what I wanted um, kind of explaining priorities and how long I thought it may take or at least asking them how long they thought it may take um, and what yeah. they need um, just so we're all on the same page and we can all kind of understand um, sort of roadmaps and where we'll fit in each other's um schedules that's really yeah. important um because without that you could end up waiting a long time for something to happen um and you've got a strategy to <laughs> continue yeah. with um and yeah seo doesn't wait around um so right. it's really important to get that all sorted um i think within reason um you shouldn't also assume that anyone you speak to knows exactly what you mean um so it, it's important to um yeah, make yourself understood, um, and make sure you're not kind of, um, sort of mansplaining to anyone, um, any women in, um, in the industry, because yeah, that'll break down communication and it'll, yeah, it makes sort of relationships and building those more difficult. So yeah, just being very clear, um, and then being open to questions and feedback as well is really important. Um, at the end of the day, it helps you grow, um, as a, as an individual and an employee, um, and a colleague um and it helps everyone learn in the same sort of situation yeah yeah absolutely and
0: you touched on it there with the timeline with technical seo which um i think any of us said uh, oh i've had a lot less exposure to technical seo than, than you've both had but i've certainly encountered it myself that um sometimes things can be just out of your hands with with changes actually being made um and you've already touched on the fact that you, you like to have a good amount of control over the SEO work that you're doing. And that's something that appeals to you about technical SEO. So um, how have you been able to deal with, with delays taking things out of your control or uh, maybe coming into roadblocks from, from devs that are slowing things down? Have you found a way to kind of get around that and continue working in a meaningful way on sites when you hit those issues?
2: Um, I haven't yet, no. <laughs> um, I understand, um, yeah, like I said, having worked alongside devs before, I understand yeah. that they've got their own sort of priorities and they've got their own deadlines to meet. So yeah. I'm understanding it in that way. But I'm also aware that um, when working with clients, they pay us um, yeah. to do very specific work and we need to kind of meet in the middle, as it were, to make sure that our work is done on time and yeah. um to kind of what we've um planning to deliver um but also kind of meet expectations with um developers who have their own sort of agendas to yeah to adhere to. So um yeah I'm not I'm not there yet, but I think um yeah, just that, that level of understanding and kind of um yeah just expressing what you need yes. um as long as you do everything that you can do there's there's nothing much else you can do other than that um you kind of let's be at the mercy of um yeah. the changes that need to be done um and then you just have to wait um but yeah making making it understood what your priorities are and letting them know that you understand that their priorities are there as well um is kind of the first step to getting things done as soon as possible Yeah. Well, long may it continue
0: that you haven't (laughs) experienced those delays, because as long as that stays true, it sounds like things will be things will be in a good place. Sure. So I want to move into now uh, some of the practical tasks that you that you find yourself doing. And I guess uh, move into a time where we'll really stay for the rest of the episode talking about what the what you see as important topics within your area of SEO at the moment um so just to start that off on a very kind of practical day-to-day level um are there any activities that you find yourself doing a lot of across multiple clients or or just that you see as as being big themes in your work at the
2: moment um talking to them i think um i I mean working agency side it's exposed me to client comms um the first time Um, right yeah it takes some getting used to i mean i worked in um customer service for about six years um different jobs but maybe even seven um before getting into digital marketing and yeah having to speak to customers hundreds um a week for for so long and um, you kind of get an idea of how to deal with someone in a yeah kind of, quote-unquote face-to-face um situation um but yeah obviously with clients it's a it's a lot um, of a higher level, because um, yeah. they're paying a lot of money for see what they want to be done to help their businesses. And so, I kind of think I'm kind of count myself fortunate that I've had that experience with customers to know what to say and how to address things, particularly with um, conflict resolution as well. If that ever comes up, um, yeah. I've got that that ready. But um, I think that's I think that's the main thing about um, kind of activities of. What I'm doing across different clients um, at the moment, and that's something I'm actively working on um, and get used to, particularly with making sure that I'm explaining what we want to do and why, um, rather than kind of feeling like I'm reading off a script. Yeah, is that something that
0: you're finding you're having to balance with the implementation? Like in your own time, are you balancing? SEO work with client comms or is it actually more that you find yourself delegating a lot of the actual work and kind of taking a majority of comms onto
2: yourself? Um, I think it depends on the, not it depends, it depends on the <laughs> client, um, but um, I think with some of the bigger strategies, um, it's, it's more beneficial just to delegate some of the tasks as hard as it might seem. Yeah. Um, because yeah, client comms is really important there. because um, they need to they to know that you know, need to know that someone is there to kind of answer the queries and just to give them um information on what's going on. Um but yeah, I think it's yeah, just dele- yeah, the delegation part yeah. is key um for for the bigger clients, I suppose. Yeah
0: is that something you see as well ed because i'm i'm you know conscious of you being on this this yeah. talk as uh, someone with a with a technical with a technical background as well and obviously you've been in been in agencies for a large part of your career so is that something that that you know, is just a constant and is actually just a part of you know something that we need to accept as part of agency life and part of working in a discipline like technical seo
1: yeah, definitely. I think I think what Luke mentioned there in terms of like communication, I think when you get involved in within a technical role, you just think you're going to be faced with like technical challenges all the time. Whereas actually what Luke mentioned there in terms of like communication, especially when you mentioned joining like an agency for the first time. And when we say like communication, I think communication with clients, but we also have to, I guess, use communication for working with people internally as well, like as you mentioned with like delegation and I guess working with people to experience tasks for the first time and making sure it's understood and that they're, you know, it's beneficial for them in terms of learning from it side of it as well. So I think it's one of those that you don't really expect because of the the, the nature of the role. What you actually understand is a key part of it in terms of like building relationships and make you know building that trust and that building that understanding both between a client in terms of what luke mentioned there in terms of being quite clear and concise but then being open to feedback and questions and then very similar towards with the delegation side of that is if you're working with someone um i guess new to the industry and stuff like that again being very very clear and direct but then also making sure that they're that opened, uh, you're open for feedback and questions on on tasks and things like that. So I think yeah, it's it's one of those that you don't really expect, uh, but that you learn is actually you know a good percentage of your time from from working on those areas. So I guess it's one of those that if anyone's new to the industry or wanting to get into this role, it's one of those areas that if you've got that uh, experience in already, you could be doing, you know you could have a kind of a step up in that role anyway because of your experience of dealing with and working with people.
0: Yeah yeah that's the reason i asked those questions really you, you touched on it there with uh, people being new to this industry or looking at this role because um i wonder if uh, you know certainly for me sitting sitting in kind of maybe a sort of different part of seo if uh, the reality that you're both describing is a little bit different to maybe the perception of technical seo when you're not in it because i think you know for for me, and um, I think from my experience of working with people who are not as familiar with the technical side of things, there's this perception that it's it's just sitting there looking at code all day long and uh, doing you know mind-boggling things that that other people can't you know can't get their heads around if they don't have that background in, in you know HTML and CSS from the early 2000s or, or something, which is you know that is a thing you hear hear a lot. I know it's common to both of you. Um, but actually the the reality that there are so many other skills involved and um, the reality of delegation within agencies as well I think um, you know hopefully I, I would hope people take that as an encouragement this isn't you know technical SEO isn't something kind of obscure and unattainable and unapproachable but actually you know a lot of the skills there are are skills that people will be able to develop on their own and there are hopefully opportunities to learn the the technical knowledge that does need to go alongside them. And, you know, I, I'm hoping I've brought that round to somewhere, you know, somewhere that's a, a fairly fair representation. But, um, yeah, I just find it interesting looking at it kind of from the outside.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think there's the... There was always the the misconception that you need to be a developer or someone knows how to build websites to build, you know, to be a technical SEO. When it's not the case at all. And I don't think I think some of the best technical SEOs I know, and certainly myself as well, is that yes, they may have an understanding of like HTML, CSS, but effectively they won't be able to fully like be involved in like development tasks. Whereas it's more of like a, I guess a translation role in terms of you can kind of understand yeah. what's going on and you're the translator in terms of what's actually happening on the website and then you're taking it for like either for another SEO or for a marketing person and you're explaining why that's happening so, yeah I think it's a, it's a really good point.
0: Yeah I mean Luke is that something that resonates with you as well what, what Ed's describing there that the, the role maybe is slightly different to the sort of outside perception that other people might have if they're, if they're not in technical SEO?
2: Definitely um, I do think that um perhaps the outside perception and maybe even some of the things that maybe some in the industry or sort of in the wider industry have maybe put out would make, suggest that um it is more kind of coding and kind of sitting with devs and yeah, almost being like a, a bedroom dweller it's <laughs> staring at code for a long time. But um it's yeah it's a lot more than that. there's strategy involved there's um yeah there's the communication as ed was saying both internal and external um and yeah the creative side doesn't doesn't necessarily leave either um yeah. there's a lot of creativity within sort of um the technical aspect of it um kind of even sort of creative um solutions to things where you have a problem and you do have to fix it um yeah there's this yeah, it's it's very wide ranging, a lot more wide ranging than um, it might be suggested from yes. what's kind of perceived.
0: Oh, that's great. I, I just think that's a really valuable insight for people listening who might be looking ahead to technical SEO and wondering wondering who it's for them. So, thank you both for that. Um, but i think uh, last question from me before i let Ed kind of steer this in the in a direction where i'm a lot less uh, sure of my footing i'm uh, i'm keen to go into some of the more uh, i suppose directly kind of seo knowledge related stuff now luke and uh, and and that kind of starts with the question of what do you think you know from your experience so far and what you're seeing in the industry uh, what, what trends should technical SEOs be, be keeping an eye on? You know, what, what is it in the industry that's important for people to be learning about and, and to be aware of at the moment, in your opinion?
2: Um I think this year's of uh, the year of vice search. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. I was really, I was no. really wondering where you were going with
1: that. <laughs> that no. that did, no. get, me. That did yeah. get me. I was like,
2: oh wow. <laughs> no, not that one. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm in all serious. I'm noticing um, a lot of site migrations with a lot of clients, um, okay. and increased use of um, JavaScript frameworks. Um, I think it's kind of a pivot towards um, PWA's or progressive web apps and kind of these single-page solutions for, um, for companies in whether it's SaaS or kind of anything else, um, yeah. business solutions. Um, so, yeah, both come with their own respective challenges as I'm facing personally with having to deal with them um, for different clients. Um, so I think it's important to understand them a bit more um, and kind of minimising issues that come with them. Um, yeah. Particularly for site migrations, I appreciate it can be quite daunting because um, you're having to move, whether it's a well-established site or a new one, you're moving everything that's there to a brand new place. It's basically moving like moving house, um, yeah. <laughs> and kind of settling down um, in new surroundings and then having to kind of, in some ways, reset um, everything for google to then pick that up and then understand oh it's this is what this is and it's from this place um and having to kind of reconnect everything in terms of authority um link equity and stuff like that so there's a lot that comes with it and yeah there's a lot of pitfalls that can come through um with kind yeah. of using traffic and potentially not getting it back so you just have to kind of be prepared for that so i definitely recommend from that side kind of creating a checklist um or, or something of that nature um, yeah. until you kind of get comfortable with it and you kind of know um have like a, a sixth sense for things kind of changing. Um and for frameworks I'd recommend whether you're technically um astute or not reading some of the documentation around them if you know which ones are being used um and then just looking around the staging site um if the client has one. Yeah. Um just to get a feel for how things are, particularly with the back end as well. You having to use that or put any changes in place. Um, yeah, you you want to familiarise yourself with um, these kinds of things so that when issues arise, you kind of you've got some kind of standing. Um, yeah. You're not kind of in the dark too much. Um, and yeah, the, the devs will take sort of significant amount of control over that because they're the ones that um manage it but you want to be able to especially if you've got tasks that involve them changing things in the framework you need to understand and be able to express what you need done um, Um, so that they understand it and they can get it done as soon as possible
0: and Um, just sorry just to ask for a bit of context i'm just wondering is there is there a theme you think that's driving a lot of these migrations like 'Cause from my limited understanding of, of sort of PWAs and things, it's um performance is often the reason that people look to do it or businesses look to do it. So is there is there maybe a tie-in with Core Web Vitals or is it more of a just a coincidental thing that it's that you're seeing this happening now? Like do you think there is a, a kind of unifying reason behind it?
2: Um I think I think UI is is quite a significant part of it um sort of PWAs besides speed like you said um mm. I think it's a look that um some companies go for okay um yeah there's a, there's an appeal to it I think um having that kind of clean one page sort of um design as well yeah. um kind of caters to I think what they think that users may look for in a in a company um okay so i think yeah that's there's something that comes with it um and that's why it's important to kind of get an understanding of these kind of frameworks and these um these systems behind them um because while they may look good and they may offer sort of speed optimizations it's important to understand that if they're not done properly they can kind of go the other way um so it's kind yeah. of it's crucial to keep on top of those things and um make sure yeah that they don't yeah no, that's really good.
0: That's really good insight. And, and actually something that I'm sure, you know, I, I've already thought of extra questions, but I'm conscious of there being other topics that I know you're keen to talk about today. Um, so we may have to get you on in the future again to talk about this, this a bit more because I don't think it's a topic we've particularly covered on the podcast. So it's one I'm going to mentally bookmark. Um, but I do know there were there were some other things you wanted to chat about today, Luke. So I'll, I'll hand over to Ed to to take the conversation there because he's a little bit more capable of it than I am.
1: Uh, so Luke, I know you mentioned site migrations there, but I, I know full, fully, I'm fully aware that you probably won't enjoy site, migration, site migrations as no SEO does. But in terms of you personally, what are you kind of enjoying in technical SEO at the moment? I know you mentioned that, You've previously found it difficult de- to delegate because you love getting involved in like the data and things like that. So, are there any areas that I, I guess that you're you get really excited about in terms of working on when when focusing on technical SEO? Um,
2: I guess an excuse to use Search Console um, <laughs> even with um, kind of my own sites. And um, I was doing any kind of SEO work on those. Um, I would spend yeah a lot of time in Search Console. Um, I mean, I didn't have anywhere near the levels of traffic that kind of clients do, but there's enough there to kind of understand um, how users are finding sort of my sites. And then it, it's just amazing how um, how much data there is there and how much useful data, to be more specific, mm-hmm. um, around, yeah, what people are using to search. <clears throat> um, kind of the, the kind of keywords that you would never... Never see in things like h f s and semrush because there's no um average volume behind it, but there is clearly volume um it's just very granular and I think it's important to kind of um use that alongside other tools to kind of shape any strategies and kind of understand the customer journey so yeah i I love going getting into that and just finding interesting things and it's also good for like um sort of content creation as well um mm-hmm. there's a lot of people asking questions that may seem quite niche but clearly if someone's asking it there's 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 an interest there so it, it's you could end up finding um an article that's already been written and then you may find a question that's in there and then adding that in with an answer and then suddenly you're ranking for that and then you're getting more traffic that way so it's, it's things like that with search console i really find interesting um but i think yeah just kind of getting into data um using different crawling software um and it it all ends up harking back to sort of the days when i was like surfing the web because effectively you're doing that but in a strategic way um you are literally looking at serps who are kind of Clicking on links and going down um, rabbit holes within reason um, to to find out what makes pages work, what makes them rank, and why, and then using that information to to help clients.
1: Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I, I completely agree with your point on like Google Search Console because I think people can sometimes like bypass it in terms of like a data source, can't they? They can often go to like the likes of AHFs and SEMrush, whereas they've got the direct data for the clients there firsthand. So, you know, there's, there's things such just like shiny objects that people can just be distracted by, whereas, you know, Search Console has a wealth of data that, you know, can really can really, can really help you stay, if, uh, your strategy, especially like you mentioned there with individual articles or understanding the data that Google is presenting to you on your own site as well.
2: Yeah, I think with, um, yeah, you kind of make a compromise with some of these tools. So Search Console gives you um, granular data and very, a lot more specific um, in terms of search queries, although obviously it obviously doesn't show all of them because they can't. But um, obviously that's an, at the expense of a lot of the features and functionality that um, software like Ahrefs or SEMrush can give you um, in certain analysis. But then those sorts of um platforms then give you um sort of abstractions or estimations of things like clicks and um kind of percentages of people clicking okay. through and then leading that sort of thing um that may not be necessarily accurate um which we may not use in sort of reports and things so i think it's yeah it's important to not necessarily use one or the other but use them all together and pick out the sort of the most relevant um aspects of each to kind of um form strategies
1: yeah definitely so just moving on to kind of another topic within technical seo but i know there's more i guess areas of seo that i've been using it is i guess one area which is focused on python and we had ruth everett back in episode 15 talking about this and i think before you even started impression i know you put a tweet out like starting your case for learning python i think it was in terms of like your your journey on learning python as well so um how did you get started on python and um you know what i guess to encourage you to start um, you know start learning it uh, essentially
2: yeah um so just to jump back um, before then um <clears throat> with the sort of html css i was learning i thought, well, there's a third part to this, which is obviously JavaScript. So I kind of wanted to get into that initially. Um but both times I tried, I'd kind of <laughs> kind of fell because it would just it got so complicated and I, I just I couldn't get my head around it. Um and then there were some significant changes to it that then made it worse. I was like right, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> and I needed I needed some kind of language to marry the website, as well as kind of SEO. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Python obviously came up and it sort of has been very popular over the last few years. And yeah, um, Ruth Everett was kind of the person that I looked towards and thought, I'd like to do that too. So yeah, um, <laughs> kind of similar to remembering the exact day that um, I got into the web. I remembered the the month, it was October and. No, 2019. Was 2019 that I started, so it's two years now to the month um, wow. that started learning. Um, and, yeah, I, I put that thread out and I kind of um, learnt in, sort of, learnt out loud, um, putting things in in a sort of uh, tweet thread, tweet thread, um, just kind of both the successes and failures, as it were, um, of of getting through and understanding it and finding APIs and debugging and all that sort of thing. Because um, I appreciate with learning these sorts of things, um, particularly with Python, you kind of often see the end product. Um, and then if you do get an explanation, it's very much, here's all the code that you need to use. And it's like, well, what does this line of code mean or what's a for loop and that kind of thing, um, which yeah. obviously... You would then need to go and learn about that but a lot of the a lot of the stuff that you see um promoted within python and seo is very much here's a product and here's how it works without anything underlying and i appreciate it. obviously no one can no one can teach you python within um these sorts of resource and articles that's obviously for you to kind of go ahead and, and sort out but um yeah i thought it was important from my from my perspective to um show that yeah, what what it felt like to learn um the the language and um show the successes as well as the failures as well.
1: Yeah. No that's that's awesome. And in term, in that episode with Rufo, she, she ran through like examples of of where you can use Python to help with, I guess, SEO tasks and things like that. I guess with yourself personally, um, this doesn't have to be an impression or anywhere, but what have you found Python useful within your own line of work and specific tasks?
2: Um, So I think the very first thing that I built, um, which I've used since um, in work, is a um, SERP scraper. So when I discovered that you can kind of, scrape serp data with python um i was like i need i want to do this so um <laughs> yeah i learned kind of the different um sort of modules that you needed to do that um something like beautiful soup um and uh, the request module and so on um and then learning to how to take the data that was there from google search um and then putting it into um sort of a, a readable form um and then learning about apis as well i think that's one of the fundamental things that um python has sort of exposed me to is apis and how to communicate with them um obviously you can do that with any program but learning with python and being able to do that has been really really important um and yeah i think that scraper it it's something that was a bit of a labour of love because sometimes things wouldn't work and I'd spend hours getting headaches and so on and then having to sleep on it and then waking up and then going back to it and then having a eureka moment. That happened quite a lot with building that. Um, and I was able to use it um, in sort of in a work setting to improve visibility at my um, last job um, in terms of creating more distinct briefs for, for content rather than just Kind of writing about topics and saying use this keyword seven times and that sort of thing, which obviously doesn't work um, anymore. Um, so, being able to use that scraper to find out what was being written about certain topics and then kind of creating briefs off the back of that with sort of usable data um, was really beneficial for me learning this, the language and also helping clients um, and um, where I've been working. So. And that's that's one of the things there um has been important um and other things as well with my my blogs as well um <clears throat> I've been using things like um n l p so natural language processing um to kind of understand blog content that I've written and then even using um natural language language classification to kind of find ways of understanding the text and then mapping that to um certain tags and categories um sort of improve internal linking um that's something i've been doing for the last year or so um and that's been really interesting as well because that's exposed me to machine learning a bit more and um creating models and and that sort of thing um which is like
1: yeah
2: well a whole other thing <laughs> Um, I can
1: uh, I can imagine Ben's licking his lips right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that one in particular sounds really interesting. I um I think for the last couple of questions we've got, we want to talk about automation a little bit more, as well. But the idea of um using NLP in that way to like understand your own content very quickly to kind of uh, map it into categories and tags and stuff sounds sounds really really cool and something I wasn't aware of. So yeah, I was definitely getting quite excited at that one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> And so, with that, with that mention of automation there, and I get, the, I know with Python it can help look to automate like certain things for you uh, and 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 make tasks a lot e- uh, easier. But also, I know most recently, well, in the past few years or so, there's more discussion and more the of the introduction of AI uh, and content automation as well. So, at the moment. And we're not talking about, I guess, in the next few years. But where do you feel like there are the best opportunities or the biggest opportunities for automation in SE at the moment? Is it the case that, as you mentioned there, with the, the scripts that you've, you've you've been running in recent years, that, that you know there's still a lot of ground to make up on on those areas, or are there any specific areas that you can see are you know quite exciting that people can get involved in on a day-to-day basis now? Mm-hmm.
2: I think the two main sort of general areas for automation that I think that benefits SEO the most are um, things that oh, I not menial tasks, but the manual tasks that are done often and mm-hmm. we would possibly say waste time that could be better used for more strategic work um, and more content and things like that, um, mm-hmm. and for it to be used as um, a complement to some of the more specific work that we need to do as kind of human beings as opposed to leaving it to AI to do. I think those are the key areas. Um, Things like meta descriptions, for example, um, you can either automate those and there's, there's, um, there's documentation and there's different scripts and tools that you can now use with Python to kind of gain an understanding of a, a text to then generate the meta description for that um which is really useful um mm-hmm. you can also then kind of add the human touch to that so for for me um one of my clients um I've been kind of marrying the two so um using kind of templated um meta descriptions to then use um within an automation script that um then kind of inputs certain words or kind of a brand name into like three different sets of meta descriptions and then automates it for different products. Um, For this one, for example, there was um, 100 different um, types of a product. Having to obviously do meta descriptions for each of those would be very time consuming and, yeah, it would be a waste of an hour or two to do that. So automating that made sense, but then also having the, so the human element of it having been written initially so that it's not just kind of auto text it's kind of semi auto text i think that was um that was really good it obviously would have taken more time than if it was just completely automated but then it's also readable which is the key thing for a user um so they make sure that they sort of click on the um listing um see so yeah, i think kind of marrying the two together is really good um Metascriptions is a probably a, a fundamental thing to use with automation um but it's just the kind of manual tasks that we come across um, where time could be better served elsewhere that needs kind of that human element um things like reporting as well um that's a good place for automation if you're constantly having to input numbers in when you can get sort of um python to do it that's that's it's really, really important um yeah nice that sounds awesome
1: and i know we've we've mentioned there in terms of like that ai and content automation and um from our like previous chat with you we i know you're keen to touch on the the gpt3 as well i know um i've been sending a few articles to ben on this to to get him in but i know he's uh yes. he gets to learn on this as well but um i guess it's why is this important for SEOs to be keeping an eye on? Maybe we can say specific SEOs, but also, I guess, people that are within content roles as well. I understand there's a lot of like scope for this, but a lot of websites, are, from what I can see, are using it already or to, to some degree. But, yeah, I guess it could be good, good to understand, I guess, why you feel it's important for us to, to keep an eye on. And also, just to add to that very quickly, um,
0: if you you could quickly summarize what it is as well, if people aren't familiar. Um, I know know it is a very complex topic, but if you could uh, distill that just very briefly before you dive into Ed's question on its kind of applications, then um, that would be really handy too.
2: Yeah. um, So GPT stands for Generative uh, pre trained Transformer. Um, So it's uh, basically a language uh, model that uses... um, sort of what's called deep learning, um, related to machine learning, um, to kind of produce human-like text. Um, so it's basically kind of in a sort of crude um, explanation, like a, um AI-generated text, um, where it's a very large model of billions and billions of words and sentences and sort of... Um, long text books and that sort of thing where it's kind of learning about the relationship between words and sentences to then use that as a basis for if you need it to do anything whether you need it to answer a question that you give it or generate some text for a certain context it's able to do that um based on everything that it's learned yeah so naturally that kind of um that kind of model is has a lot of uses um across a wide range of um different topics and disciplines and companies and industries um and it, yeah. the idea is that it saves a lot of time for generating text as we were saying earlier um and tasks that would be sort of very manual and time consuming. You could use that to kind of speed that process up and remove that that human element um yeah. I think one of the key areas of it is with it learning, um, the model learning from so many different types of texts, it's really important that the text that it takes in is um, qualitative. Yeah. um, necessarily quantitative, Um, obviously it needs to be both um, for it to have sort of the best understanding of of human speech and human um, writing. But yeah, it's important. And uh, the old adage, um, "garbage in, garbage out." We, yes. we really don't want that. And I think in some areas that is or has become a problem with these sorts of language models. Where I think that like Cortana, for example, it became a, <laughs> um, a racist Nazi. Yeah, bot. I remember um, that. That's pushed <laughs> down quite quickly. Um, it's important not to go down that route. Um, and uh, yeah, I just want to mention like ethics in AI is is very important. Um, discipline and something that we need to as SEOs as well, I think we we should um focus on before kind of jumping into these um sorts of transformers and just using them without thinking of the implications and um consequences of of what may be outputted. Yeah.
0: Yeah I think it I mean it sounds to me like if uh again this is a topic that we could go on you know a a lot longer about and I know we're barely, barely scratching the surface here. Um, but I think what you mentioned there, Luke, about the, uh, the garbage in, garbage out, the, the quality of the data that it's trained on directly affecting the output. Um, I think if that's something that people are bearing in mind as they're looking at these models and these applications that are kind of slowly filtering out into the industry, then that sounds to me like a, like a kind of a good starting place for people to just kind of have in their minds, at least as they're starting to learn about it more. Is, is, is that fair?
2: Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think with, as the world grows and with things that happen in the world, um, it's it's important to kind of understand search from a wider perspective than just customers and conversions and revenue. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, these users are actually people um, and they have their own sort of behaviours. Um, and yeah, it's important that, we kind of cater to the human element as much as we can, but also yeah. keep search in mind um, and sort of the technical side of it. So, yeah, it's it's important to not get too lost in the capabilities of these sorts of models um, for the sake of it saving time and um, auto-generating text, um, particularly with um, writing like so – this burgeoning um, idea of um, auto-generated content. Um, yeah. That's, that's growing in interest and it's growing in um, discourse. And um, sort of Google have, and people like um, Jamal have discussed about how they're going to handle um, auto-generated text and content, whether they're going to be able to um, perceive that and how well they're going to be able to perceive it. It's not an issue right now. It's not something that's kind of widespread, but it is, I foresee it's something that's going to grow. Um, yeah. And it's important, from my perspective anyway, not to get involved with that on a wider scale. I mean, there's, there's, there's reasons and there's use cases for it, for sort of generic pages necessarily. <laughs> yeah. But I think as a, as a content strategy, I would steer clear of doing that on a wider scale um yeah. because once you've created that it's a lot harder to and once it starts ranking and it's it's established it's a lot harder to then pull that back and then replace it if it becomes problematic or if google ends up um putting things in place where they can kind of find these things out and um start penalizing sites so it's yeah, yeah something to keep an eye on i think yeah yeah
0: no, that's really good, and your um, your sort of the, the sentiment you put across there about the the general attitude to search and users as well, I think, is uh, is a really good message to kind of tie up this topic for now, as much as it can be tied up. And I'm also glad to hear that it sounds like it's not going to be advisable to uh, replace jobs like mine with with bots spewing out content anytime soon. So I'll hold on to that as long as I can um but unfortunately we are we are at the end of our time today i feel like we could have gone into into these topics even more and uh, i'm very keen to have you on again in the future to do so luke if you're willing um but in the meantime how can people find you hear more about what you're doing at the moment uh, and is there anything else you'd want to direct people towards as we finish
2: yeah um i'm on twitter um at luke davis that's d-a-v-i-s-s-e-o all one word um, I've got a multitude of sites, but I'll um <laughs> I'll try and keep, keep it brief. Um, there's um Sample Face, uh, which is the music site, there's Culture Face, which is spelled C U L T R Face, all one word. Um, yeah. there's uh Logic Face, which is on Twitter as well. L O C L O G C, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um I'll probably stop there. There's plenty more. But um, if you um, just hit me up on Twitter if you want to know the rest of them, you can. Um, But yeah, those those are the main areas of um, contact for me.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll include links to any that you want to include uh, in the podcast notes and the blog as well. So people should be able to find it very easily. Um, But that is unfortunately everything we've got time for on this episode. So uh, thank you, Luke. And thank you, Ed, for your contributions to this one. Um, And we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with more on-page SEO content, uh, where we'll continue to bring you a variety of voices from within the industry this year. Um, And in the meantime, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review of the podcast on on your podcast app of choice. Uh, Anything like that uh, helps us to reach more people, which is really valuable to us. Um, And if you want to send in any questions for future guests, be a guest yourself or just chat to us about SEO Uh, You can find me on Twitter at benjgarry with two R's and Ed is at EdJTW with two D's. Uh, And if you can't wait for us for your next helping of digital marketing content, then check out impression.co.uk slash blog, which may be a new website by the time this is launched. I'm not sure, Um, but that's quite exciting if that is the case Uh, and whether it's a new website or not, all of the latest stuff that's going on at Impression is visible there on the blog. Um, and we also highly recommend checking out womenintechseo.com slash speakers uh, which is a great way to find more people talking about the kind of topics that we've been discussing on this podcast today uh, particularly technical seo as it's there in the name so directly relevant to this topic um, but luke ed thank you so much for your time uh, and we'll all be back in a couple of weeks for your next installment of on page conversation bye everyone